Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. have your Bibles with you, would you open them to that little letter of Jude in the New Testament? Sometime I'll be somewhere and somebody will say, let's turn to Habakkuk. And it takes me about 12 minutes to find Habakkuk. If you're looking for Jude, if you'll just go to the very last letter in the Bible, the very last word, you'll find Revelation and just go one page forward and there you're going to find Jude. It's not the shortest letter in the Bible, but it is almost the shortest letter in the Bible. So greetings to each of you. I hope you are well, and may the Lord bless us as we worship here together. A number of years ago, I was asked by a pastor to come and fill in from him. for him. He was going on vacation, and I said, well, what date do you have in mind? And he gave me the date and the time, and I said, yep, I believe I can do that. We had it all settled, and then he said, oh, by the way, I want you to speak that Sunday on the biblical doctrine of divorce. Oh, that's a non-controversial issue. I mean, is it okay to be divorced? How many times can you be divorced? Can you undo a divorce? Can you be a preacher if you're divorced? Can you serve as an elder if you're divorced? I mean, that's a sweet subject. And so I said, that'll be fun. I'll do it. (laughs) Not long after that, the same pastor asked me to stand in for him again. I said I would be happy to. I'm a little bit more reluctant at this point. I said, I'll be happy to. Do you have a subject? He said, yes, I would really like for you to speak this Sunday, after I said I would, on tithing. (laughs) Money's an easy deal. I mean, you know, everybody's got lots and, you know, everybody concludes that they're right about tithing. Is it 10%? Is it 9.3%? Is it after taxes, before taxes? Can you give part of it one place and part of it another place? And so I went ahead and I said, okay, I'll be happy to talk about tithing. And I did. Not long after that, sometime after that, a friend of mine who was a staff member of another church by then asked me to come and speak to a large luncheon on a Tuesday, I think. And uh, I was a little bit smarter by then. I said, before I say yes, do you have a subject? He said, yes, I do. I would like for you to talk about death. And I said to myself, Roy, you're on roll here, I'm telling you. We got this deal handled. I mean, what's more popular than tithing? What's more popular than divorce? What's more popular than death? I remember when I was speaking on divorce in their second service, I was just rolling along there and a woman jumped up out of the audience and began to scream at me. So I thought, today I want to talk about something sweet, something easy, something that we'll all agree on. So I chose the subject of judgment. (laughs) But to sweeten the pot a little bit, I titled the message, Jubilant Judgment. So if that's not your bailiwick, please do not stand up and shout at me, all right? You have your Bibles with you. Let me ask you to open them with me to Jude 
And I'm going to read, concentrate just on the last two verses, but before I get there, I'll give you a synopsis before we go. The writer of Hebrews said, just as it is appointed to man once to die, after that comes judgment. And for a purpose statement, and this is just a general thought, I wrote this. The Bible clearly teaches that every person born on the earth will one day die. Then stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account of everything they have done in this life. Now I'm going to concentrate on those last two verses. And I'm going to be reading them over and over and over again. So I hope you'll keep it out in your lap so that you can refer to it. But let me put it in context for us to start with. Jude opens in Jude chapter 1 by introducing us to the person who wrote this little letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and of his brother James. Well, Jude was the brother of James. James was a half-brother of Jesus. Therefore, Jude was also the half-brother of Jesus. But he didn't announce himself that way. He said, I am the servant of Jesus Christ and also the brother of James. So now we have the author. The second thing he did was to introduce us to the recipients of the letter. And I'll ask you if to this morning you are one of these recipients. It's not a blanket letter to everyone who's ever walked the face of the earth. But notice how he narrows it down. And that's in the second part of verse 1. To those to those, the recipients, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So as he introduces the letters, he says, I want you to know I'm writing to the called, those, that you, those of you that have been called to Christ. Secondly, I'm writing to those who are being loved, that we are being loved. And finally, I'm writing to you, those of you who have been kept. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind because that's so important as we open up the rest of it. Then in Jude chapter 3, he gives us the reason that he wrote the letter. Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I changed my mind. Literally, that's what he said. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, he said, I had this sweet letter all prepared. I was going to write to you about our common salvation. We'll all agree on that. But you know, there's so much trouble has sprung up within the church. There's so much evil on the outside and now on the inside of the church. There are so many false people creeping in. I changed my mind. And so I'm asking you to contend with me for the faith of the gospel. Then, from there all the way to verse 23, Jude gives us six, some people say seven, admonitions on how we might contend for the faith along with him. That's your assignment. You can work through those seven or eight. You can do it around lunch. You think I'm teasing, don't you? There are some great, great admonitions there. But then he immediately changes his tone and something softens. It's as if he backs away from all of this judgment. 
And he writes this doxology, I think, the greatest doxology that has ever been written, both in the Bible or outside the Bible. Now, the reason I think it's so astounding is because of the stark turn that he makes. Because in verse 3 on through verse 23, he uses words like this, condemnation, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, judgment of the great day, undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever to those who execute judgment. I mean, if there is something profound, it's there. There is going to be a day of judgment. But notice how he cartwheels now in verse 24. And this is where we'll spend our time. He writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and I like the word falling there than stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen or forever. Now that's a doxology. What is a doxology? I asked them to sing the doxology just before I got up. You sang it. Praise God from whom all blessings throw. So a, a doxology is simply a poem. It could be some music. It could be just a statement of praise to God. So we come together, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. That's our doxology. Now, judgment is a tough thing. I've only stood before a judge on my behalf twice in my life. Have any of you ever stood before a judge? Now, I was there many times before as a guardian ad litem for a minor or just to be a personal encouragement of someone that I knew. I've been in court many, many times. But as far as me, just twice. I asked that in the first service and several people put their arms up. That's what's called a rhetorical question. (laughs) The first time I stood before a judge, I was tooling along a Texas highway and one of the sweetest men that you would ever want to get to know thought I should not be driving 65 in a 55 mile an hour speed zone. And so he came up and pecked on my window and said, hello, sir. What a sweet man he was. And we just had the most delightful conversation. And then he wrote me a most delightful ticket. And so when I got back home, I had to appear before the county judge. And it was just a time of embarrassment. I think she was more embarrassed than me. But I was embarrassed because I happened to be pastor of First Baptist Church in that little county seat town. And she said to me, she said, Roy, I'll bury this ticket. And I said, okay, so I paid my fine. I don't know what she did with it, but she buried it. The only other time I was standing before a judge was before, was before our son became permanent in our home. We picked him up when he was six days old, and in five seconds I was so in love, I would have killed you and everybody in this room to protect him. To protect him. And after six months, you had to go before a judge to make sure that the placement would be final. And I remember driving down there that day where that first appearance was an embarrassment, This second appearance was sheer terror. 
I mean, I was scared to death. Because we drove along there, it dawned on me, this judge has the right to say, remove that child from this home. He had that right. And I didn't know what I'd do. I mean, all the way down there, I was thinking we could load up a few things in the car and just leave and try to hide out. I mean, they were trying to take my son away from me. But we, paired, prepared, we appeared before the judge. He did hit his gavel smile on his face and said, it is permanent. And so for the last 52 years, he's called me dad and I've called him son. It was a great, great experience before the judge. And so Jude says there's going to be a time when all of us are going to fear, appear before a judge. Could be an embarrassment, could be disaster, could be joyful judgment. And then he opens in this 23rd verse, telling us the re 24th verse, telling us the reason that we offer our praise to God. Why is it in the face of all of this, do we offer our praise to God? And he gives us four things. Number one, he says, we praise God because of his peace. Where did the peace come from? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling, what a place of praise because of that peace. I think before we're saved, the greatest fear in life is what happens to me when I die. Now, folks, we're all going to die. Every one of us in this room, we're going to die. But what happens next? And if I did not know Christ as my Savior, I would be terrified. What's going to happen? But after we come to Christ, if we're honest with ourselves, because of our own personal sin that goes on and on and on, even though we have given our hearts to Christ, the danger and the fear that we have at times is, have I done enough to keep myself saved? Have I done enough? When I look at my sin, when I look at my failures, when I look at the things that I've thought, when I know those things that nobody else knows about me except God, God I look and sometimes there is fear within me. And that's what Jude is approaching for us. He said, I want you to know we praise God because he gives us peace. Where does the key peace come from? It comes from the fact that Jesus himself keeps us from falling. He keeps us. I don't have to keep myself. I couldn't keep myself if I wanted to keep myself. I can't do it. But he is able to keep us from falling. The second thing he tells us is that we praise God, not only because of his peace, but because of the pronouncement that he has made over us. Look again at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you how? Blameless, blameless before God. Now, now this is not a rhetorical question. How many of you, since you have become a Christian, have found yourself absolutely blameless? No, no. I'll take a count. 100%. I mean, all of us have sinned, have we not? I had a man get in my face two or three years ago, and he, he said, oh, he was upset with me because I was teaching that after you're saved, you still sinned. And he didn't believe that. He thought after you were saved, you never sinned again. And I said, I know you do because I have great experience there. 
and I know he did also, but we praise God because he presents us before his throne. How? Blameless. Blameless. The third thing that Jude teaches us is that we praise God because of his protection. Now, I want you to notice something. Look, look closely with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before what? The, don't miss that definite article, the presence of his glory. What is the presence of his glory? You remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Nick was talking about Moses and he said that Moses had, had, had come face to face with God, but he said, you know, I want more. I want to see your glory. And what God say to Moses, Moses, if I showed you my glory, it'd kill you just like that. You can get behind that rock. You can peek through this crack and I'll show you a little bit of stuff, but we can't stand before God because of his purity and because of our sinfulness of who we are. We can't do that. It would destroy us. So what did Jude tell us? He said, I want you to know when you stand before the throne blamelessly, you can stand there in the very presence, the presence of of his glory, I'll give you protection. The fourth thing that he tells us is that we praise God because of his praise for us. Isn't that cool? We praise God because of his praise for us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, you'll have this memorized by the time we get through, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, how are we going to be presented with great joy. It's not going to be a fearful thing. It's not going to be a hard thing. We're going to be presented before the very throne of judgment joyfully. And it's not just you and me. It's not a, it's not a kind of a snarl on our lips. It's not a, have you heard this one? It's not kind of like that. It's not only that we will be joyful, but that all of heaven will be joyful with us. It's the angels of heaven that will be glorifying God joyfully because of you and me. It will be before God himself. It will be before the Son himself. It will be before the Holy Spirit himself. It will be for, before the angelic chorus in heaven. It will be all of heaven. It will be a party. It will be jubilant judgment. He moves on then not only talking about why, the reason that we praise God, but secondly, he talks about the rewards that we will be receiving from God. And when I say the rewards we will receive, that develops an issue for us. Now we've got an issue. Now we've got a problem. We've got a problem that we need to solve. What is that? Here's the judgment seat of God. And for those noted in verse one, the called, the loved, the kept, if that's you, we stand before the throne of God, blameless. We stand there with his covering. We stand there with his protection. We stand there absolutely as pure as God is pure himself. You remember in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, um, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God himself. So we are righteous. We're pure. We're saved. We're clean. There's not one hint of darkness in us 
What are we doing standing before the throne of judgment? What are we doing there? Why am I there? What are you doing there? And secondly, who is this judge anyway before whom we are now appearing? Who is this? Well, John tells us in John 5, and don't turn there, but John 5. And he said this. He said, for the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son. And then two verses later, he reiterates that when he says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. I think Jesus is going to escort us in before the throne. Correct? You may say yes, because that's correct. Thank you. Bless you, my child. (laughs) Jesus is going to escort us before the throne, but he's also going to be the judge behind the judgment seat. Now, how in the world does that work? Many years ago, my daughter decided she would get married, which was really a happy time in my life. And she said to me, Dad, would you walk me down the aisle? And I said, sure, honey. It would be one of the most joyful things of my life. It would be an honor for me to walk you down the aisle. So we set things up and everything was in in place. And I'm standing at the back of the church and the groomsmen are up there. The bridesmaids are up there and all was well. And they were playing the entry song. and, And so I walked her down the aisle. She's on my left arm. We walked down the aisle. We get there and my future son-in-law, Jim, is standing there and I'm standing between them now. Lori is here, Jim is there, and I didn't ask the question, I made a pronouncement and I said, her mother and I give this woman to be wed. And when I said that, I stepped forward, they joined hands and I turned around. Now then, I was facing them and the congregation and I led them through the marriage ceremony. So I escorted her in, and then I was the officiant. What has Jesus done? He said, let me take you to the marriage. And he walks us in before this throne of judgment. And we get down there. This is an analogy. Don't write me a letter. This is an analogy. We get down there, and he switches around. Now then, he has escorted us in. We are clean. We are pure. We are saved. We are safe. And now he becomes the judge And now what is he going to do? Why are we being judged? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 on down the line, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Right? We're all going to receive what we have done in the body, whether good or evil or evil. Standing there before the throne, are we good or evil? If I have, if you have the very righteousness of Christ, we stand before the throne guiltless. So what are we doing there? This throne is for, if you're accounted in that verse one, if that's you, We're standing before God so that he can give to us the rewards that we have earned in this life so that we can walk into heaven with those rewards. Jubilant judgment. The final thing that 
Jude shares with us is we see the reign that we will enjoy with God himself. Paul wrote to his son in the ministry, Timothy, and he said this, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. Now Jude is going to clarify now to him that little pronoun in verse 24. And he clarifies that for us when we get to verse 25. Who is the him? Who is it that we'll reign with? Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we're going to reign with God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he tells us why our reign is worthy. Notice, how is God worthy? How will our reign be worthy in glory and majesty, dominion and authority? We'll reign with him then. And finally, the third thing he tells us is that we will reign with him forever. Notice, how will we reign with glory and majesty, dominion and authority. How long will we reign? we reign? Before all time and now he reigns and we will reign with him forever. The Shorter Westminster Catechism, question one asks this. What is the chief end of man? See if there's any liturgical people out here, you'll know what the answer is. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is the chief end for you and me if we're named in verse 1? To glorify God, doxology, doxology, and to enjoy him forever. J.I. Packer wrote this, one of my heroes, quote, True religion does not begin till the question presses, how may I get rid of my sins? And it exists only in those who know that the answer is not by seeing what I can do for myself, but by putting my trust in Jesus and in what he did for me, end quote. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do know a little bit about electronics. I have a laptop, which I use. I have a tablet, which I live on, and I have a cell phone, which lives on me. I love it because they're all coordinated. Change a date there, that's changed, and that's changed. It's so cool. Send an email. It, it registers it, it registers, it just all goes together. It's so cute. The thing I hate about it is about once every two or three days, somebody somewhere under some circumstances which remain absolutely lost to me decides they'll upgrade my stuff. <laughs> and it just aggravates me to death. 
I got up the other morning. I, I'm up in the night a lot. I got up the other morning, got my trusty laptop, sat down, leaned back in my chair, got my coffee, and it had upgraded this thing. So you've got to go this whole deal, put your put your password in, and then it's got to load all this junk on there. So it goes on and on and on, and by then I've had a half a cup of coffee that's gone, and it finally comes up. I put my password in, my pass thing in, and it pops up, and it said, Hi, Barbara. <laughs> True. I love Barbara. We've been married for decades. I hope we have decades more. I love her to death. I don't want her monkeying my blooming computer. <laughs> I said, this is ridiculous. I restarted the thing. I said, there's something wrong here. So I went and restarted the whole thing. Goes through the whole deal, comes up. Hi, Barbara. I said, okay, I don't have time to monkey. It's, everything's working fine. It was all, everything. I looked at my cell phone. It was all working fine. I said, okay, I just leave it, leave it, leave it. That's about uh, three months ago. This last week, I decided, you know what? I have enough sense to fix this. I know I do. I just do. So I sat down. I had three days that I had to do nothing. So I thought, I'll just do this. Figured it'd take me at least two days, Lou. Anyway, so I got down there and I got to monkeying with it and I was changing settings. And what it does is it changes the administrator of, of your equipment. That's what's happened. So I, I, I wanted to be the administrator. I didn't want her. She has her own stuff, and I don't touch her stuff, and she doesn't touch mine. I mean, I worked and worked and worked on this till I was so frustrated I wanted to bite a nail in two. So I called, I shouldn't, I'm not going to, I called the company that does that stuff for us. I don't want to be sued, so. And they said, oh, we'll send you to the technical people. And so they sent me to this guy. And I know we were having a hard time communicating because he thought I was from Boston. And I knew I'd lost my, my accent already. And he was from Bangladesh. And so we were having this difficulty. But he was a nice guy. So he goes through all this stuff and we reboot. We do all this. And he said, okay, got it? And I said, yes, I'm right there. He said, look in the upper right-hand corner and you'll see your name. Right click on it. I said, my name is not in the upper right-hand corner. Oh, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. He said, let's go through that again. I spent 45 minutes on my telephone talking to this guy and him telling me my name is in the upper right-hand corner of the blooming thing, but it wasn't. And in 45 minutes, I said, I'm done. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. This has been a delightful experience for me. <laughs> I hope it also has been a delightful experience for you. And he got off. And I said to myself, I'm fixing this thing myself. So I began. And I spent about an hour fixing it. Then I picked up my cell phone and it wouldn't work. Then I picked up my tablet and it wouldn't send or receive. So I went back and undid everything that I had done and I came, I finally found a solution. I have a solution. When it upgrades now and it comes up and it says, hi, Barbara, I say, hi, honey. How are you doing? I'm having a great day. But you know what? Everything works perfectly. She fixed it.
when we take back control of our lives and decide I'm going to be the administer of my life, it falls apart and nothing works. Folks, hear me. If you can't say to me, Roy, yeah, that's me in verse one, that's me. I pray that you'll ask somebody, ask somebody on staff here, ask an elder, call the church. Someone will help you. Because when Jesus Christ the Lord becomes administer of your life, everything changes. And we can look at judgment in the face and look at our praise in the face and know that we are loved, we are kept, and we'll glorify him the day he brings us before the throne. And there is no doxology greater than that. Would you pray with me? You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.